You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But their offensive line is a business. Their receivers can't get open. They're one of the worst teams running the ball. They're one of the worst teams protecting the quarterback. We can sit here and bang on Mac Jones all we want, but I'm sorry. If you put Tua back there, if you put any of these quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, they're still going to have problems moving the ball because the other 10 pieces don't pose a threat to nearly any team that they face. Hey, what's cracking? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. We are up to episode 284 and we've got a great one for you this week we are going to take an nfl deep dive with an incredible nfl reporter he actually happens to be the chief national reporter for nfl network as well as the host of the nfl report which is available on the nfl app and wherever else you get your pods my guest for episode 284 this week is none other than steve weish now steve has been around the game for a minute now he has covered some fascinating teams. He has broken some enormous stories, and he's got a feel for the league that very few can match, which is why I wanted to pick his brain, and which is why I wanted to pick his brain now that we are a quarter of a way through the season. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right at it. It's episode 284 with NFL Network Chief National Reporter Steve Weish, and it's coming at you right now. So, Steve, it's been a minute, but it is awesome to get a chance to chop it up with you and talk some ball. What's going on? How you doing, man? Hey, man, life is good. I'm kind of in, like, a sub room. The rest of my house is getting torn apart. So, if the sound is kind of tinny or something like that, that's my excuse. No, I got you. You sound fine. You sound fine. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you <laughs> playing through it and working through it. So, let's kind of get into this. Like, you've always been a great storyteller. So, when you look at the first five weeks of the NFL season, what is the most intriguing storyline for you thus far? Oh, there's a lot of good ones, yeah. It's funny, you know, considering we could talk about, you know, I think Brock Purdy's a great one. Like, you can't doubt Brock Purdy anymore. I think also the teams that have like an abundance of playmakers seem like they're going to have a chance every week. But to me, the biggest story, as crazy as it may sound, I don't know if it will, is the Patriots. I mean, I think this is a potentially frightening situation for that club after what we've seen after five weeks. I mean, they look like they're getting worse and worse each week. And this is after a terrible last year. They didn't upgrade much thinking that maybe the way we coach is still going to get things done. They still have two-thirds of the season left to play. And we've seen the Patriots when they had Tom Brady could turn things around, but they don't have Tom Brady anymore. They don't have Gronk anymore. And this is something that could end up being terribly, terribly disastrous. And, Jim, can you imagine if it does? And they've got, let's say, a top five or top ten pick. Would you trust anything they've done with this leadership to have draft picks that high for the future? Steve, I think it's a great point you make. I think it's a great point that you make. I was going to say to you, how bad is it? But you touched on that. You know, on the one hand, Steve, I want to say, given the cards that Belichick, Bill Belichick, has been dealt, but the fact of the matter is, you're right. He's dealt the cards to himself. Is there any reason to believe that as great of a coach as he is, that he can fix this thing and get this thing turned around, given that he has that autonomy and that power and he's making personnel decisions? 
it, it's hard, Jim, because you heard me talk about these teams that have playmakers, right? Name me one for the Patriots on either side of the ball. Name me one. Now, we could sit here and say, okay, Tom Brady didn't have a ton of playmakers. But you know what? He did have a solid offensive line. They always had very sound defense. And they still have a pretty good defense. You know, Gerard Mayo is doing a great job over on that side. But they lost their best player in Matt Judah. Right? So injuries right there are going are gonna to hurt things on that side. But their offensive line is abysmal. Their receivers can't get open. They're one of the worst teams running the ball. They're one of the worst teams protecting the quarterback. We can sit here and bang on Mac Jones all we want, but I'm sorry. If you put, you know, any if you put Tua back there, if you put any of these quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts, they're still going to have problems moving the ball because the other 10 pieces don't pose a threat to nearly any team that they face. I think that's fair. I agree with that completely. So where does that leave us? I mean, I keep asking the question, but I think that you can't ask it enough. I mean, it was just always assumed that he would run down Don Shula. He would break that record. He would do it as the Patriots head coach. I don't think you can assume anything because to your point, Steve, not only are they losing, they're not even competitive. They're embarrassing. They're humiliating. And what if it does get worse before it gets better? Could you ever see Bob Kraft breaking him off before he breaks that all-time record? Is that feasible? Is that possible? I think I really think it is, Jeff. I mean, I think it's a situation where, you know, Robert Kraft's not happy what happened last season, you know, when they decided to put Joe Judge and Matt Patricia as the offensive play caller. But he sat back because, you know, you got you have to give Bill Belichick that type of respect. Like maybe he knows what he's doing. Well, it turns out it didn't work. Right. And so now it's gotten worse. Again, you bring in Bill O'Brien, who's a very good offensive coach. I think he's a very good head coach. It gets gotten worse, and part of it is the personnel. And they just have not assembled anybody that opponents cause a threat. So I think Robert Kraft, at the end of the season, he could pull the plug. I mean, look, I covered the Dolphins when Wayne Huizinga bought the team and moved on from Don Shula to Jimmy Johnson. We all know that when Jerry Jones bought the the Dallas Cowboys, he moved on from Tom Landry to Jimmy Johnson. Usually when you have these legendary head coaching changes outside of Pittsburgh, they usually accompany an ownership change. That's not going to happen in New England. So Robert Kraft has to be very tactful um, if he's going to do something like this. But if Bill Belichick breaks that coaching record for all-time wins, I think it could be with a different organization. Yeah, I mean, so hard, inter- as hard as that is, we need to say. Yeah, no, you're right. It's so interesting, right? Like, you figure if there's going to be some sort of divorce, that it's got to be amicable, but I don't see how it could be because I don't think the Belichick's going to want to do it. I mean, he will leave if he has to to get that record, but you know he's not going to be happy about that. I don't know how Bob Kraft, short of giving him a $20 million handshake, I don't know how he's going to make that right. You know, Steve, to your point, moving to the next topic, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up Brock Purdy. Like, I, I, I buy into and believe in Brock Purdy. Like, I don't think this guy is just a great story. I think he is now one of the more effective, more reliable quarterbacks in the NFL. Like, do you think that we have seen enough from him now that those questions will stop? Or do you think, based on who you're talking to and what you see, there is still some skepticism? And where do you come out on the guy? Well, I'm going to answer your last question first. I, I think he's legit to the point where I think, you know, you could put Brock Purdy on some other teams and he's still going to play very well. Now, he's not going to go to every team where he's got to get on the center, seven-step drop, wait for long developing routes to develop, and, and throw the ball all over the yard like a Justin Hurt, right? It's going to be a little bit of a different type of situation. But he could go to Miami. He could go to other teams and function very well. He understands 
what he sees, and he plays to his strengths, and he doesn't turn the ball over. Now, yes, he's got a mad scientist designing plays for him. And, yes, he has playmakers everywhere. But, okay, if he goes to the Patriots without those playmakers, is he going to look good? No. He's going to get his head kicked in because he doesn't have an offensive line. I mean, this is the teams that look good right now, they have playmakers. And San Francisco has them in abundance. So I think Brock Purdy, there's always going to be skeptics because, again, he's small. He looks like his middle name is Homer. He's kind of got the all shucks to him. But he can deal. And, 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 I, and I'll put it to you this way, just to ask it simply. For as much as we want to look at the, it's, it's a Kyle Shanahan system, right? Name me a quarterback in the system outside of Matt Ryan in his MVP year that has looked as good as Brock Purdy. And if you look at it through that lens, I think that shuts down all potential concerns about Purdy. I think you're right. I think it's it's way too simplistic just to say, you know, system or player. I think, yeah, it's, it's a great system, and he's got great playmakers, but it doesn't mean that you can drop anybody into that system, that situation, and have the same kind of results. Like, I, I buy into the guy. I mean, yeah, he doesn't look the – he might not pass the eyeball test, but the one thing – it's really cliche, Steve, but I think if you crack that guy open, he may be like, aw, shucks, I think the guy's a killer. I mean, he is aw, shucks, and he's humble, and he's that guy – but I think inside, I think this dude's a killer. I think when he gets under that helmet, he gets on that field, he's competitive as hell. And I think he's very reliable and definitely a guy who can win it all. I mean, are they, the t- to you, are they the team to beat right now? Have they separated or is there still a group of three or four that you can make an equal argument for? Well, they, right now, absolutely they are. I mean, nobody is functioning at a level like they are in, in all three phases. It's, it's crazy. I mean, that defense, good guy. You talk about playmakers. They've got in all three levels. They're incredible. They can run the ball. Um, real quick, though, I want to get back to Purdy. I love what you said about him being a killer. He has got that it. Right. Killer, right. Like, I, I'm around the Niners team a lot. And that, you know, we, we like to use this expression, Jim. They got dudes in that locker They do have dudes. And, I agree. And if they thought he was a punk. Let me talk to you for a moment about one of my favorite products ever, HelloFresh. What is HelloFresh? What it is is farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store. You can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, and that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Kickstart a fresh fall routine with HelloFresh. HelloFresh handles all the meal planning and shopping to deliver everything you need to cook up a tasty meal right at home. They do the hard part, and you get to take credit. And when it comes to options, honestly, more is more. That's why HelloFresh's menu includes 40 recipes and over 100 add-on items to choose from every single week. I love it. Comes right to the doorstep, all these tremendous ideas and great meals. Find out for yourself. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. Use the code 50Rome for 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. Once again, HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. Make sure to use the code 50Rome and get 50% off plus 15% off the next two months. HelloFresh.com slash 50Rome. They, they would let you, you would know, right? You would know, like, that nah, he's not in. They're like, no, we have got this dude. And there's an old adage. If your quarterback will jump into a pile to recover a fumble, team guys will rock with him. Brock Purdy is is that guy. So 
I'll say that. Now, to get back to your last question, I, I do think the Niners are the best team. I think Philadelphia's going to be there at the end. They're close. I mean, they look really good against the Rams. The Rams are a pretty, pretty dangerous team. They're better than what people think. And, you know, I talked to Jason Kelsey, the center, and he said, look, once we get through our red zone issues that we're going through right now, you know, we're kicking field goals, they're scoring touchdowns, we're going to be, we're going to be better than we were last year. And, and, I, and I think that's the case. I mean, they're, they're really kind of still figuring some things out offensively. Defensively, they're good. Miami is super dangerous. So I do think Fangio's defense will take hold as the season continues to progress. They've got to tighten that part up. I tell you what's interesting to me, though, Jim, is Kansas City. You know, we talk about playmakers, and their receivers are still developing, right? Are they are they going to get by without having great receivers, or are these young guys going to develop by the end of the season? They're going to be unstoppable again. I, I think those are some of their elite teams. You know, Buffalo is going to be there in the end, too. You know, they got humbled over in England. But, you know, I think the Kansas City thing is one to watch as well. I think that's a great point. Here's a million-dollar question. I like what you just said. Would you include the Lions amongst those teams? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Sorry. I, I'm, a, I'm a Lions bandwagon. I would. Because look where the strength of their team is. We want to talk about their skilled players, this and that. Offensive line and their defensive front is coming. Because Aiden Hutchinson is one of the baddest men on the planet. He is, That interception man. he had last Last week against Carolina, I mean, that was insane where he just kind of pawed it with one hand, kept it, ran it like a running back. And then you've got a great offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. Aaron Glenn has his defense clicking from the back half of last season to this year. They are playing well. They have drafted arguably better than any team in the NFL. A lot of people say, oh, they drafted duplicate positions. Well, uh, last I checked, Sam Laporta is balling out, right? Last I checked. You know, Brian Brandt, some of these guys, they're balling out. So they know what they're doing. Jared Goff is getting it done. I absolutely would include the Lions because they're building themselves much in the mold of the 49ers, tough, uh, physical, with a lot of depth at the key positions on the offensive and defensive line. Uh, they, they, are, they are a team to, to be dealt with. I absolutely love them. I love them. And Steve, you've been around a long time, so you understand this. I love them. I love them. I love that franchise that I never had the faith could build it the way they are building it or doing just that. But I love it for the fans. It's a great football town. They deserve it. They're long-suffering. I absolutely love everything about it. Help me understand this. And because you're in it, you'll be able to explain this. The drama that was involved with Denver and the Jets, like that, that was unbelievable theater to me. Like, for instance... I don't think anybody didn't think that Sean Payton was way out of line to swerve way out of his lane to go in on Nathaniel Hackett the way he did after he was hired by the Broncos. But why specifically did the Jets rally around Hackett the way they did in the days leading up to that game last week and then after the game was over? What was that all about? Well, I I wasn't there, but I mean, look, Jim, you've been around this long enough to know. Coaches will have those conversations with us in the media off the record, right? General managers will have conversations with us off the record. The fact that it was on the record and it seemed so personal and the fact, and I know Sean Payton very well, I have the utmost respect for him, but he came in thinking like, hey, man, all I got to do is touch, you know, touch this team with my magic wand and it's going to be fantastic. I think that's why. I think the Jets and Robert Sala have have developed, especially with Aaron Rodgers now hurt, a mentality of we have to insulate and protect our own. That's why they're coming out with their arms around Zach Wilson like they didn't do last year. 
right? So I think they've really developed that this year. So when Sean Payton came out and said that about Nate Hackett, to me, you know, the players, uh, the, the coaches, to come around on Nate, I mean, look, Nate Hackett's there for a reason. You talk to people in Green Bay, they will tell you he was a very good offensive coordinator. He, he just wasn't a very good head coach. I mean, that's what it turned out to be like. But we're also saying there are bigger issues in Denver than maybe the head coach. So I love the fact that the Jets rallied. I love the fact that they knew, hey, this is a game we could win. And that's we're not going to say that every week. And they showed up and played. If they show up and play like that every week, they're going to be a tough out. Now, losing Elijah Barry Tucker on the offensive line is a huge blow. But if they can show some fortitude like that, they're not going to be an absolute disaster like they were in 2022. You know, Steve, I, I'm like you. I, I like Sean Payton a lot. I've known him. I like him. I respect him. I'm really curious, though, what do you think is going through his mind? I agree with you. I think he probably did think, I'm going to walk right in here. I'm going to touch this thing. I've got the Midas touch. I'm going to turn this thing around. I'm looking at that defense. Man, all they need is me, and here I am. Well, here they are, and he's one in four. What do you think that's doing to his head? What do you think he's thinking right now? Oh, it's, it's not good. And, and Jim, we've, we've seen veteran coaches get back in the game and not have success like they had before. And man, that is a humbling, humbling cup of tea. And so I'm sure right now he is already starting to get coaches, assistant coaches ready that he's going to bring in next year because they, they have to burn this thing down. I mean, this is two years in a row. And the one guy who's not going anywhere is Sean Payton because of the contract that they had. So you've got new ownership there. He's got to invest in him. So he's probably lining up assistant coaches he's going to bring in next year. Looking at players he's going to bring in next year. Now, Sean is someone who's not going to take losing, like, okay, let's just get through this year. He's going to try to win every week, but he is he is setting the table. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos start trading off assets at the trade deadline to start getting you know draft capital for next year so they can try to turn this thing around quickly. And we'll see just where they land in the draft and if they're in play for one of these top quarterbacks coming out of college. That's going to be something there, too. But I think Sean's going to continue to work with Russell see if he can get him going because if you don't have to change out a quarterback you could turn things around pretty quickly in the nfl clones what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy not bars not sugary snacks not energy drinks you want beef pure and simple where's the beef it's in a package of old trapper beef jerky old trapper is not your old man's jerky shriveled dry tasteless Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? I mean, Steve, I'm having a blast. I think this is so much fun just talking about these topical things. But before you go, because of your history and your background, I want to ask you about a couple of things. I want to go back. Like, if we were to go back to 2016, for instance, during the preseason, you covered a 49ers game in which Colin Kaepernick decided to sit during the playing of the National Anthem 
and had a 10-minute post-game interview in which Cap explained why he did not stand. Did you have any sense that night how monumental that story that you essentially broke would then become? Yeah, I mean, I knew it was going to be big. I did not know it was going to have the legs where we're still talking about it right now in, in the way that we are because everything we talked about continues to play out in front of us on the daily. Um, but I, I knew then it was going to be a big story because, Jimmy, you know, I used to cover the NBA, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, when he did it in Denver, mm-hmm. the reaction, you know, that, that, that it brought. You know, I grew up on the outskirts of St. Louis. Uh, and, and so I, I know – how much that American flag means to a lot of people. So anytime someone kind of has to tread, even on the theory behind the actual fabric, it is offensive to a lot of people. Um, but also what he talked about was offensive to a lot of people in terms of, you know, police. We know that was the summer of 2016 where we saw in video, a lot of unarmed people of color getting shot by police. And so the fact that everything played out with George Floyd the way that it did and the things we're still seeing in society were now, in some cases, police are being held accountable. You know, like we're seeing in Memphis and things like this. It's In some cases, they're not. But everything he laid there from his soul, sacrificed his career that night, playing out now where people, at least some people can say, more people than then could say, I see exactly what he was talking about. I, I think that that kind of cements his place in history. Some people may say he's famous, some people may say he's infamous, but he has a place in history for what he did. 100%. I agree with you 100%. I'm so glad you mentioned Mahmoud. You know, I spoke to him. I first interviewed him even before he made that stance and was always fascinated by him. Like, what an amazing player and the fact that he was dealing with Tourette's and we sat down in studio and did an interview in the early to mid-90s. I I always loved Mahmoud as a player and a guy. What was he like to cover? You know, I, I wasn't around him that much um, because I, back then I was in Miami uh, covering the Heat, the Alonzo Morning, Tim Hardaway days, mm. those great those great teams. Um, but, you know, I, I've met him since. And, you know, there's a great documentary about him called State. I saw uh, it. it really is, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It is great. It's great. It, it's amazing. I, hope, I wish everybody would see it because it goes to show you how disciplined and principled he is. And with everything he's gone through, his inner peace i mean if we could all be that centered um you know this world would be a much better place um but he just he's just he's so at peace with himself not the world of course i mean who is but you know again he's just he's somebody i wish we knew that that more people knew about because i think he's somebody to emulate in a lot of ways and how to handle conflict, and how to ha- how to handle turmoil, and also how to lead in ways that aren't necessarily provocative, but effective. It's so true, man. He is he is very profound. I mentioned it on the air today, Steve. I think that like hate is the new dopamine, and I don't mean that to be funny at all. I mean I hate that it is, but it's like hate is the new dopamine. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. I just say that in passing. That that's a whole different topic. You know, your your career is really interesting. You've done some really interesting things. As an example, before you joined NFL Network, you were the Falcons beat writer for the Atlanta Journal Constitution, and that was a fascinating time for the franchise because it was highlighted by Michael Vick's incredible play on the field, and then of course his involvement in a dogfighting scandal, which led him to serving time in federal prison. I mean, starting with Mike as a player, have you ever been around a more electrifying athlete? than Michael Vick? 
Uh, no, other other than Michael Jordan on the NBA court, no. I mean, Michael Vick, Jim, remember, I used to go to the Georgia Dome, right? And it was, it didn't matter who was playing, how well the Falcons are playing. It was a party. It was a club. It was packed. They are playing Bone Crusher. They're playing Ludacris. It was it was the blackest, you know, stadium in terms of, like, culture. He was Allen Iverson in the NFL. You know, they're from the same hometown. So they were, they were very similar in their impact on audiences, on unifying, on everybody wanting to be there. And then what he did on the field, good or bad, like every play, play to play, was an adventure. And it was, I love being around him. I, I, I was one of the few media members that Michael uh, really felt comfortable with, um, you know, and since he's gone through everything, you know, him and I have talked. That was the most difficult story I had covered, being the, the dog fighting thing. I mean, someone who I had so much respect for as a person, a player being involved in something so illicit uh, and horrifying, and then having to go, and I had to cover, like, cover every detail of it, man. There were so many things I couldn't report that were just awful. And then, you know, now when I see him and talk to him, it's, it's like, man, he, he was saying to me, like, it must've been horrible for you uncovering all this information. I said, that was bad, but knowing that it was you was the worst part about it. Um, so kind of going full circle with him, you know, it, it's just amazing from the young guy who thought he had the world to an older guy who understands he can impact the world in different ways. Uh, it, it's just such an example of maturity and growth, and, I, and I'm really proud of Mike Vick right now. Dude, that is fascinating what you just said. That's fascinating what you just said, because I was going to ask you, as somebody who, I mean, there's objectivity and there's separation, and you got to be careful how you cover athletes. I mean, we've always walked that line. Like, we want to have access, but we have to be objective, and that's not always easy to do. But I know you held this guy in really high regard, and then all of a sudden this story breaks, and, you know, maybe you had some familiarity with it. I Certainly as a guy growing up in the suburbs in Southern California, I didn't really know about dog fighting. I'm kind of a dog guy. And like a lot of the country, it was just so fucking horrific, right? And then this is a guy that you cover and you respect and it had to have been hurt hard for you but then to hear him say years later hey man that must have been really hard for you so like do you get the sense that he does get it he understands it he's not telling you what you want to hear but rather what he believes and what he now knows and what do you make the way he's turned his life around oh he, he gets it i mean look two years in leavenworth will will do that to you, you know losing everything and, and jim here's here's the one thing because it wasn't just when I was covering this, it wasn't just, you know, uh, Mike, Mike Vick and what he did, right? Atlanta in the deep South, you had black residents. It, 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 it divided the city along racial lines for the most part. I mean, people weren't talking at work. It was awful. The city was in absolute term, turmoil. Mm. You had this going on. But then what I also learned, because people would say, well, he didn't kill anybody. It was his dog. Mm. And people would say, you know, we don't we, we know a violent crime, right? But we may not know somebody who's been murdered or assaulted. We've all pet a dog. And when you put it like that, you all you understand why this touched such a universal nerve. And I think Mike found that out because him fighting dogs was something he grew up with. You know, as back then it was like smoking weed, right? People knew it was wrong, but they did it anyway. To him, it was like people he, he knew fighting dogs was wrong, but he did it anyway. And and so now when he looks back on it, he's like, man, what am I, you know, what, what was I thinking? 
But in the moment, as a young dude who just grew up doing that, it, it, it's weird. So in terms of what he's done with his life, I mean, he just started a new foundation uh, that's launching soon to really help a lot of young people make sure he, they don't make the mistakes he made, that they seize the opportunities. He's really behind uh, like women's flag football. I think his daughter actually got a scholarship to play flag football, Jim, because it's some some universities now it's a scholarship sport. Wild. So, you know, the, the fact that he's age, we all we all get wiser as we age. You know, the, the further we move away from the legal drinking age, the smarter we seem to get about life, right, Jim? And so, I think that's where Mike is, and he still has a lot of life to live. And I think he wants to be known now more as Michael Vick, the man, instead of Michael Vick, the football player, or Michael Vick who threw it all away. Really appreciate your thoughts on that. So, Steve, leave me with this thought. And again, I really appreciate all the time you spent in going long form today. You know, because you're on so many different platforms, and I always say this, know your room, but you're on so many different platforms with NFL media, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's interesting. I, I made the statement not long ago. My We have two kids, my wife Janet and I. One just graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison with a degree in journalism and mass communications. I did the commencement speech, and it was really interesting to talk to those kids because you and I are very close in age, and the world is so different. Like, I'm curious, how different is the business now for you than when, like, you were at the AJC? And what do you tell young people right now that want to be in the media or get into the media? Well, that's a great question. Look, Jim, I, I came in, you know, a newspaper guy, right? Graduate Howard University, a newspaper guy. And that was, people would read the articles in the morning, and then all the TV stations and radio stations would spin their coverage off of what appeared in the newspaper. Well, now newspapers are pretty much all digital and they're kind of the dinosaur and it's what's on Twitter or something that launches on like your show or whatever, something provocative which drives the news cycle. Okay, and who can one up on that the next minute instead of waiting until the paper came out the next day? So when I talk to students because there's so many platforms, like right now, the majority of the stuff I do on NFL Network are on the streaming platforms that aren't Netflix and Hulu, but are what they call fast channels, free advertising supported channels, Tubi, Pluto, Roku, things like that. And then on the podcast. And, and so what I tell young people is, what do you listen to? What do you watch? That's how you need to prepare your delivery. That's how you need to prepare your preparation. But more than anything, besides working on your image, besides on your brand, that great thing we've heard for years now, work on your credibility. Because I've seen so many young people come to the NFL Network and ESPN everything else who've got that immediate pizzazz where the network said, we got to get more of them, more of them, more of them. And then when they have to have a conversation like you and I are having now, swimming in 10 feet of water is absolutely impossible without floaties for them. And, and so know what you're doing. Know the people you're dealing with. And don't just come out with something that's going to get you, you know, in front of that camera, in front of a national audience for two years before you flame out, because there is somebody right behind you. You've got to have credibility to have staying power. 
U.S. Cellular knows how important your kid's relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions do apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. Such great advice. Such great advice. Steve, one last thought, if you don't mind. It, it's so, when you mentioned like you came up as a newspaper guy, my favorite thing about this whole thing, well, not my favorite thing, but something that always really, really got my attention. When I came up and I got my first TV job at ESPN2 in 1993, man, the print media hated the electronic guys hated the electronic media, had no respect for the electronic media, thought that we were lacking in substance. Well, essentially saying what you're saying, like you're trying to get us to look at you, but come swim with us. You won't last 10 seconds. And there were a few newspaper guys that got it early on. Like I remember I put Stephen A. Smith on for the first time back in the day because I always thought that he was really entertaining. He got it immediately. Bill Plaschke was a guy at the LA Times since I grew up in LA. I always read him and he didn't push back. He understood it. But do you remember those days because I can remember some of the old school guys you know Boston Globe New York Times Dan Shaughnessy's guy that I always did really well with but some of these guys yep. man the disdain that they would hit me with and I never disrespected them I always respected those guys and the price they had paid the beats they had worked the columns they had written but man I'm telling you the print back in the day it's so funny right now because some of the best have the print backgrounds but man did they hate the electronic media back then it's, it's how we were taught I mean, I remember coming up in print journalism. So I went to I went to school with Stan Barrett. We graduated together, you know, the sports center anchor. He was a broadcast journalism major. I was a print major. And the way the teachers taught it is we don't want to lose our people to broadcast. <laughs> we don't want them we don't want to lose them God forbid. You know, to the bright lights. But but because I grew up in St. Louis, my father worked for NBC. He was in sales at the NBC affiliate there at KSDK. But I mean, even in my gym and stuff, I mean, I'm working out with the anchors and stuff. Like I always wanted to be on TV. But, you know, I just had a feeling like I need to get the journalistic footing and, and not to be offensive to people who took the broadcast department. You know, I'm very good at painting a picture with words. I, you know, that's why I got into it, because I sucked at math and science, but I could write. And so I wanted to do that. But I always I always wanted to get back into the broadcast world. And that's why when the opportunity presented itself after all the Michael Vick drama, I was in. And thank God I did it. It happened in 2007. And that's when newspapers died. Everything went electronic. And I found myself saying, you know, thank goodness the timing. You know, it all worked out. Uh, timing's everything. I, I attribute timing to my career, my success as much as anything. So, again, I'm trying to let you go. But one last thought. You mentioned St. Louis. I want to pay homage to one guy really quickly. You know who's a great dude and a great journal? Brian Burwell was a great guy, wasn't he? Oh, my gosh. Jim. You know, every time I want, I, I talk about Brian, I want to cry because you know he's a DC guy, he's a DC area guy. I went to school in DC. I, I worked at the Washington Post for five years. What him and Michael Wilbon did for me in terms of seeing, seeing somebody who they knew could be good, introducing me to people, making sure that if I was in town or whatever, you know, when I moved away, we always got together. And I was with Burwell. A few months before he was, well, he had just been diagnosed with the skin cancer 
He didn't say anything to me. I get a call from my brother who still lives in St. Louis about six weeks later. He said, Burwell died. I was like, what? I was just with Burwell. And, you know, he was a columnist at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch at the time. You know, I remember him. He's just USA Today. He was on ESPN. Just the ultimate, ultimate decent man on top of a great journalist. So I'm so glad you brought him up. You know, young folks need to learn about a guy like Brian Burwell. Because if you can be like him as a human being on top of being good at what you do, you're going to last a long time. Because one thing, Jim, while you and I are still here, we're good people, man. The dirt bags are gone. The dirt bags are no longer around. There's no tolerance for them. But you treat people the right way, uh, you're going to stick around for it. Boy, that's the truth. I lied. One last thing. Did you know, and since because you're bringing this up, and it's kind of giving me chills, you know who I absolutely loved, and I loved that he respected me enough to want to come on my shows because I held him in such high regard because I was so fascinated by him. Ralph Wiley was another one. Oh, yeah. Did I you mean, spend that, much time great, with him? Another one lost too young. Yeah, much another too young. Another one who lost too young. I mean, Ralph Wiley was the guy who was, I mean, he was around the same age as Wilbon and Burwell and Bill Roden and guys like that, a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit older, but he's the one who laid the platform for all of us. And look, Jim, as, as, as black journalists coming up through the print media, coming up through the television media, it's hard. Hard, right? we man. Get, we, get typecast, we get typecast in a lot of different ways. And, and so, you know, for a guy like Ralph Wiley to kind of break through a lot as a writer who could do TV, as a writer who could be provocative and not necessarily come off as the angry black man, or the sell-up black man, but as a proud black man who could make his point and make people say, huh, he, he, he's, he's got something there. You know, and you get people of all races and, and genders to say that, you know, that's that's something, you know, that I, that I hold. And I know Will Bond and David Aldridge and J.A. Adande and so many great people when it came to Ralph Wiley, Burwell, Bill Roden to this day. I mean, just 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 legends, just legends. And hey, listen, I, I love Bill Roden, too. I'm not going to ask you about him, too, or you'll never get out of here. But I, <laughs> I, I agree with you. And Ry Ralph Wiley, man, he just he was so cool and so smart. And I cared so deeply about what he thought and what he had to say. And you can't say that about everybody in the world. Anyway, Steve, I could keep doing this because this is fun and this is easy and this is great. But I so appreciate you coming on and going long form. I should have done this sooner. I'm so glad we came together, man. That was an absolute blast. I really do appreciate you and your time. Well, I appreciate you having me and touching on these subjects because we don't get to do it often. But that's why I love you, bro. You keep it real. You keep 100, man. I mean, I appreciate you saying that. That that respect is something you have to earn. And by the way, you and I, it, it, it's kind of funny, isn't it? I'll just, I'll leave you with this thought. I'm trying to find, and you probably understand this, like, you know the craft. And coming up the way I came up with, I'm like, all right, so I want to do this, and I want to do it at a very high level, and I want to do it for a long time, but where do I fit in? Because I'm not going to start saying a bunch of shit just to say a bunch of shit to get people right. to look at me and to click on me, but how do you make a difference, and how do you make it compelling, and how do you make it provocative? And I think that's the thing we have to all ask ourselves going forward, right? No matter how old you are or where you are in the business, how do you keep it real and do it without compromising yourself, your integrity, or hurting people in the process. Hey, and Jim, you know what else helps us? We all have kids who are now like, like I'm a grandfather. I've, I've got kids 27 through 30. Incredible. So I can talk to them and find out, hey, what's affecting you? Right. So that helps you. You said you took your daughter just graduated from Madison. 
Son, yeah, he, he, it's his son, but you're right. He's funny because he, okay. he's so green, but at the same time, he does know things that I don't know that I need right. to know. So we're great for each other. 1,000%. Steve, you're the best, man. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for doing it, and what a great conversation. Thanks so much, Jim. Now, that's a dude who is plugged in. It is no wonder why he's so well-respected around league circles. You heard exactly why. He is a pro's pro, a tremendous communicator, and he's got a ton of experience that he can tap into, which is why I had to tap into it for the original side hustle. So my thanks to Steve Weish for stretching out and making the time. If you want to keep following him, you can easily do so on the X or Instagram at Weish89. Or if you're looking for more of the side hustle, I've got tremendous news because there are 283 eps that are in the can and they all hold up and they're waiting for you to listen to. Or just take a second and consider subscribing. That way you'll be notified every single time a brand new episode does drop. You will never miss another one. You don't go looking for them. They find you. It's that easy. Just consider subscribing if you will. And I will catch you next week for episode 285 of the Jim Rome podcast. See you then.